0: Hello there, this is Christine welcoming you to the Pulsing Black Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this space. I hope that you will find that it is a space of healing, of learning, enlightenment, and empowerment. My name is Christine Mwangi. I come from Kenya and have been residing in the United States for over 20 years now. I migrated at the age of 11 with my family. I resettled in Baltimore, Maryland. And later on in grad school, I moved to the UK, lived in England for five years, and then moved back to the US. And so throughout my life journey, I have experienced different identities as a Black woman. And by identities, I mean expectations of how I am to act within my skin. And so coming from a country where Black as an identity was not a marker of who you were and how you were to be treated, it was quite a transition moving to the United States and adapting to what is defined as the Black race. And then, you know, moving to Europe where I was still Black, of course, but there I was expected to identify by a nationality. And so learning what it meant to be American and hearing and seeing how people in Europe viewed Americans and very specifically Black Americans. And so I have toggled between different identities while Kenyan the whole time. And so I'm wondering how many people feel that their identities are are defined and redefined, oftentimes without consultation, consent, or approval of their own, and expected to live in those boxes or those bubbles and act accordingly as they try to make a life for themselves. So I am joined in this space today by my friend Shingi Mavima. And we're just going to have a chat that we hope introduces you to why this podcast was created and what I am hoping it will contribute to our Black community. So, Shingi, welcome to this space.
1: Thank you so much, Christine. Thank you so much. I will personally be back on this platform on a later date to say a little more about myself, but today, this is this this is this is Krista's show, right? So <laughs> I have a few questions here for her, and we're gonna have a conversation centering around around this wonderful platform that she's 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 developed. So let me start here. Pulsing Black, how do you come up with that name, and and what are you what are you getting at when you say Pulsing Black?
0: Thank you for that question. And it came up in a brainstorming session with a friend of mine, Brianna Alexander. Shout out to Brianna. But I love the essence of this name. Number one, we are celebrating Blackness and everything that comes with being Black. Pulsing means we are alive. When something has a pulse, It is alive. And I want to make sure for all the parts of us that we feel may be dead or dying, that we remind ourselves that we are people of life. And I want us to use this platform to breathe life into each other's experiences and existences. And so pulsing Black means that we are coming together as people, Black people And we are helping each other stay alive because we are living in times where at times we have to poke one another to make sure we are not dead. Because we are enduring so much. We are going through so much. We're internalizing so much. And we need to stay alive. You can't fight when you're dead. You can't resist when you're dead. You can't educate when you're dead. You can't empower when you're dead. You can't give life when you're dead. And so we need to make sure we stay alive, stay alive mentally, stay sharp emotionally. I mean, we have to keep pulsing.
1: Absolutely. Wow. Okay. So that that's, that's a layered emphasis on on pulsing so we'll come back to pulsing a bit later let's talk blackness for a little bit let's talk Mm. pulsing black let's talk blackness and you said something that i thought was very interesting in the beginning when you were talking about being from kenya and how blackness is not necessarily the marker of 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 being in the way that that it is over here and to to folks who may be unfamiliar with kenya which i hope we have some Mm. listeners (laughs) <laughs> who are unfamiliar with kenya who are just tuning in what why is that the dynamic because you know you have a, you have a history of colonialism and you know and and black for many people in different communities blackness is a is just there right mm. so what do you mean when you say blackness is not a marker when it seems to be everything in this space that we are currently in
0: yes because first of all we are homogeneously almost, all Black, right? Mm. And so our markers of identity then have to transgender that because it's human nature for one group to want to own or maintain power over another for in some way, shape, or form. And they say history belongs to the victor, right? So we have always been in pursuit of power and more likely over another people group. So In those terms back home, you find that the distinction between one people group from another is tribal. And so what does that represent? It represents a geographical area that a certain group of people came from. And over time, due to wars or territorial feuds and battles, people wanted to seek independence from other people groups. So they formed different customs, different cultures that then identified them as a different tribe. Of course, language being one of them. And so coming from that environment And knowing the history of how tribes come along, it's quite different than to shift your mind to how racial divides came along. Mm -hmm. And then to have to fit into that as an immigrant whose way of life has to shift completely to fit Mm -hmm. the box that you find people that look like you have been put. And Mm -hmm. so it's almost been like a social experiment in my eyes because I had to learn what race was and learn what my race was, and then act accordingly, which Mm. emphasizes this point we constantly hear about how race is a social construct. It really, truly is. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: It Mm -hmm. really is. Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay, right. So, and that, that brings me to this next part here perfectly, which is, you say you had to learn you know, almost to I can't remember exactly how you said to, it. To to be black. Be black, right? To actually be black, <laughs> not just to embrace your blackness, but to even be black. Yes. And so one of the one of the things that we see a lot is people who come into the space who are of the African diaspora or from Africa might come in and or the Caribbean. The Caribbean. Or anywhere. Yeah, 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 the just the diaspora <laughs> entirely. Indeed. Yes. And then the and the experience is very different. Do you why did you have to? Learn to be Black. I can understand why you have to learn if you're trying to, but could you, a lot of people choose not to do that.
0: Mm.
1: Why did you put that mandate upon yourself to learn to be Black?
0: Again, my introduction to Blackness happened in the lunch cafeteria of my middle school because I realized at lunchtime that children were segregated. And so while I was in predominantly white classes, and I had started to make friends with the white children that I was in class with, mind you, I was in the seventh grade at the age of 11, it was not until lunchtime or in the cafeteria that I realized something interesting is happening here. I saw the Black kids sit together. Obviously, the predominant group was of white kids, but then there was also other Interesting tables. There was a table of kids that looked almost like misfits, like the kids who are either really nerdy or really gothic, or the kids that play in the band, like the kids that don't really fit anywhere and they're not popular kids. And I sat at the table with my white friends for maybe one or two days until there was a day where this young girl came and tapped me on the shoulder and said, You must be new. And I, at first I was like, first of all, who are you? I've never seen you in any of my classes. And why are you talking to me? And so I was like, yeah. And she was like, you must not know any better. You need to sit with us. I said, why? So at this point I stood up almost to make the conversation a little more private because she was hovering over our lunch table and now everybody had tuned in. And so I stood up and I I said, what do you mean? Why do I need to sit with you? And she said, girl, cause it's more fun. And I was like, well, as an 11-year-old, I certainly want more fun. But I think she just lacked the vocabulary to explain to me the need for her to almost save me. Because she perceived me to not be somewhere I was wanted, because maybe that was her experience. This was all unbeknown to me. I had no clue what was happening. Right. But she didn't have the vocabulary or the language or the, a way to explain the complexity of the dynamic I was creating by sitting in a place where they don't normally sit. Mm -hmm. It's easier when things are black and white and me sitting at the white table, I think was introducing a gray area that her brain could not wrap itself around. And so Mm -hmm. I did end up sitting at the black table Mm -hmm. with the black kids and there I got to learn like the way they do their hair, the way they talk the kind of food they eat, because I would see sometimes, you know, what they would bring to school for lunch. It wasn't often, but they would talk about what their mama cooked. So Mm -hmm. I started to realize there's almost a cultural difference here. Like, I don't ever hear my white kids talking about this. And it's almost like I was in a different world when I sat with the Black kids. There was a certain kind of you are one of us feeling, whereas with the white kids, I don't think there was. I think they just saw me as their classmate, but there wasn't this spiritual thing happening almost, right, right. right and so imagine at 11 trying to decipher all that and of course not feeling like you could take that conversation home it's not something i brought home and put on our dinner table to discuss i just kept it to myself
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so let's let's dovetail into that let's dovetail into that uh the generational complexities of blackness mm. and you said you couldn't bring it home but let's bring it home, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does what does you learning to be black and you becoming black look like to your parents? Mm. Who, if I'm guessing, as as many f- folks in our parents' generation go, they may not have had that same experience. Of course, they were not in middle school in the U.S. So, so and right. then they come here when they when they are when they are uh, older and 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 so forth family people mm. what does the conversation sound like what is their blackness compared to your blackness let me let me just ask you that
0: yeah that's an awesome question it starts from the community that we landed in when we moved to baltimore there was a strong kenyan community there mm. my uncle who was my mom's who is my mom's brother was very well known in the kenyan community my auntie as well my mom's sister they were the family that helped us Resettle, and Mm -hmm. so obviously a lot of our perspective of what was happening around us came from them and their experiences. Mm -hmm. And so I think it was very clear, and I don't remember direct conversations where they the it was communicated that there is a clear distinction of how Black people and non-Black people, and we'll put that group as a as a bunch of people, experience the United States. And then there was this. Narrative of how immigrants experience the United States. It was almost presented in a way like this is not our home, we are here to accomplish certain goals, whether it be your pursuit of education, whether it be your pursuit of a job or to raise your children in our case, because we came here through the diversity visa lottery, meaning we had a green card from day one. So mm-hmm. my parents' mission was to educate my sister and I, my my aunt and uncle's mission was to complete their higher education. So mm-hmm. it was always this narrative of Yes, there is a struggle happening here, but it is not our struggle. There is something going on here that seems to put Black people in an unfair advantage, but we are not Black people of here, of this country. We came here, we are Kenyan, right? You meet another African, I'm Liberian, I'm Nigerian, you meet somebody from the Caribbean, I'm I'm Jamaican, We are very strong in stating our national roots, and Mm -hmm. that really affects our definition or lack thereof of blackness. Because to identify as black, you almost have to negotiate your national identity in order to make room for Mm -hmm. the American identity of black people. And a lot of immigrants, especially of a certain age, i.e. parents, like you mentioned, Mm. they're too advanced in their love of their nationality and culture to be swayed to make space for an Mm. identity that is not even advantageous to them in the sense that you are putting aside an identity that could have placed you in a place of privilege where you come from to make Mm. room for an oppressed identity. That's not even possible. When you're a child, you are moldable. You are influential, right? You you can be influenced. Right. And so the likelihood that by the time an eleven year old seventh grader makes it out of high school and is still identifying as Kenyan is very low, because mm. your innate survival instinct as a child is to assimilate, blend in, and not be bullied as soon as possible. <laughs> because mm. you're like, oh, if it means I don't be Kenyan anymore, I was I I left Kenyan yesterday. I'm not Kenyan even anymore. I cool. I. I today is thursday i've not been kenyan since sunday like I, i'm ready to move on if it means i don't get bullied at school anymore if right. it means i can make more friends if it means i can be more liked but our parents their pride is deep-rooted mm. their connection to our home and native countries is deep-rooted mm-hmm. in fact a lot of them it takes them a long time to even accept the value of material things in a u.s dollar value because they constantly convert that currency value to their home currency. So oftentimes I would hear my mom say, I can't believe I'm buying milk for X Kenyan shillings. I'm like, mom, milk is in dollars. Since, can you please leave those things back home? Like we've been here two, three years and you're still discussing the value of things in our native currency. That means their source of strength was knowing they were connected to a different reality. And perhaps that was a defense mechanism to the oppressive experiences they were experiencing.
1: Right, right, right. I think you said it, you know, I you know, and I think you get it a lot of things. Yeah. And I think you said it well when you were talking about it is essentially giving up your your advantage in this in this in this stratified society, right? Right. Uh, I remember it it brings to mind two things that I'll just mention. One of them was uh, I was reading the uh, about was it the biography of Malcolm X? In any case, I was reading a, a Malcolm X book, and he was talking about how sometimes when he traveled to a place where people didn't recognize him, he had an a, an African pseudonym that he would use because mm-hmm. he felt that the African was respected more in certain places. So, so these are some of the you know by by white folks, right? So I don't know if that's if that's if that's gospel, but I'm mm-hmm. saying that was definitely his experience to say that there is a certain reverence given to to diasporic black people which is a which is another big problem that we face today right which continues yes. to 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 separate us but but let me let me harken back to to this so that was your experience where 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 this this girl comes up and calls you over that right. is not the experience of many folks from my understanding i didn't go to i came here to, for college so i was in a different place you know, not (laughs) all the way like your parents, but I was still kind of 17, 18. So it's a little different. But what was it about your experience that made it this as opposed to, I've heard other stories of other African people, other African kids who came here when they were kids, and they only hang out with the non-Black crowd because they felt that they were shunned uh, in Mm -hmm. the beginning. Is that a story you've heard before? And if you can touch on that a little bit about what was different about your experience that situates you firmly within this with this black space as opposed to what other people may have gone through
0: yeah i've heard that narrative so many times where immigrant black children find more safety in white spaces than they do in african-american predominant spaces and i thank god that that was not my experience because I, after middle school, I struggled through middle school for two years, seventh and eighth grade, but when I went to high school, my parents placed us in a technical high school. It was not our home school, meaning the closest to our house, but it was a school a little further where we were gaining skills and even if, depending on what you were studying, because they were almost like majors and I was in like the health related major, my sister was in the law related major. Here I found some very intelligent black kids, and I didn't feel isolated or shunned. I mean, there was there were cultural differences. And things that I wanted to do that my peers were doing that were not allowed in my household, the most prominent one was I couldn't get my nails done right I couldn't go and get fake nails like my, my high school girlfriends and Um, I even remember when I went to prom or homecoming whatever the dance was we would get our nails done on a Friday the dance was either Friday or Saturday. And by Sunday, my mom would take us back to get them taken off. <laughs> and so it's like, girl, you lived your moment. Now it's time wow. to get ready for school again. Like, and you know, we don't do this business in this house. So I, I think I was blessed in the sense that my parents also afforded us just enough exposure to experience American culture as we were growing up, but we're also very, very staunch on maintaining our Kenyan culture within our household and in our Kenyan community. So the friends I made in high school were predominantly African American, my closest friends. I had one girlfriend, still my one of my best friends, Rachel, who was Ghanaian and mom was from St. Croix. So she had an African slash Caribbean household, which was unheard of. I still don't know of any other. And so by the time I went to college is when it got real. Because when I got to college, another, another predominantly white institution I found out that socially, the two groups didn't mix again, Africans and African Americans didn't mix in college. Mm -hmm. And in high school, I didn't have that problem because there were only about two or three families that were African while I was there. So there wasn't much of choosing. And Mm -hmm. so when I went to college, I was like, wow, I can either join the black Student Union or the African Student Union. And I was like, wait a minute, I just spent like, you know, six, seven years learning to be Black. And now you're telling me to celebrate my Africanness and and join the kids who, you know, just arrived from Africa and they're speaking their languages fluently, which I did. I still speak two of my languages fluently. That wasn't an issue at all. Mm -hmm. But I was very culturally removed from that, their experiences, because with the exception of my Kenyan household, I was literally living in a Black American space. Okay. So it was hard. And, you know, for those who are curious, I joined Black Student Union. I was like, I can be African any day I want, but this is where I feel comfortable. Like, I'm not going to stop being Kenyan. And if Uh I have to keep proving myself to Africans, I'd rather not be there. Because that's what I found. When I'd go around Africans in college, they'd be like are you really Kenyan? Like, from where? Where were you born? When did you come to this country? Can you speak Swahili? And I'm yeah. like, I don't need to be quizzed and tested every day of the, the quality of my Africanness. For all yeah. that, let me just go to Black Student Union.
1: hmm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so that, is, that is that is such a fascinating experience because, you know, since you mentioned college, I, and I can relate to, to some of that, at least witnessing that experience, because when I came... I was this young buck ready to go, and they were founding the the African Student Council at, at my university at that time. that's what we called African Student Council and they were founding it. I was like, oh yeah man, we'll be, we'll be good. The big homie who came to to approach me was uh, you know to this day still 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 a uh, we, we keep in touch you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a great big brother of mine, but he was the one who was the founding president, I believe. And I was talking to him. I was like, "Yeah, so we can get help, you know, from a lot of these uh, African American folks to 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 establish this organization." That's how I was thinking, you know. Right. But, and it was like, "Oh no, no, we're probably not gonna get a lot of help from them, you know. If anything, we are more likely to get help from from white people in founding this organization." Wow. But, um, but that turned out to be the reality. I don't know if if we if he manifested, but I also know that that's the dynamic, right? Like the dynamic you're talking about that there's this contesting things. But so early days in this organization, and I don't want to spend too long talking about this, it was very much stratified along those lines where the African kids over here
0: mm. and,
1: and, and, and BSU was, was but, B, but BSU is an institution. It's been around for decades. Sure. So it was over here. Then there's, of course, the, there's the, the Christian types who will fall either way. But like you're saying, they're also being queried, right? I remember the first time we elected a, again, I'll say a Christian type, person to the to the board <laughs> and some of the more traditional african especially the guys who were who had started the organization they were filming right uh, Wow! you know how would we let somebody who doesn't know anything you know on the board but but, but that's that's the thing though is it's persistent to a point whereby by the time i left because at some point i became president and after i left my sister who had been here since she was four or five and also uh-huh. been president, and I think at this point we've had African American presidents of the African Student Council, wow. and so you know we uh, sometimes it 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 takes a little bit of work, but wow. but let's let's bring it back to to this right because it seems where we left off, it almost sounds that you are you are cut off from. From these Africans, and so your blackness is this different type of blackness, mm. but that's not the you that I've met, right? I mean you're still very much in this world here, but yes. also still very it seems like your name is a staple of this of these African immigrant communities as well, yeah, so when do you come back and 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 make that connection again and 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 after you've almost it seemed you almost decided to choose one side for the other and it was very dichotomous to you at that mm. point at that moment when do the two worlds come together again
0: i think when i went to england i i experienced a very unexpected spiritual rest from the American cocktail of racism. When I moved to England, I remember very vividly, I moved in September of 2009 and by October, and I remember the month, I don't remember the day. I had a conversation with my dad where he asked me, how are you finding things? It was like a check-in. How's it going? How are you finding things? And mind you, my father... little bit of history my father and mother met dated met and were engaged in england and later moved back to kenya they were in england in the 80s for their studies so him asking me how are you finding it was to juxtapose my 2009 experience with his in the 80s in the same country as a black man Mm -hmm. and so i told him i said daddy i don't feel black he said what do you mean aren't you still black i said yes i'm black i'm blackity black black but I didn't say that part, but I said I'm black, but I'm not reminded of my blackness. Okay. Awesome. And I also told him I'm feeling very empowered in my identity while I'm still considered an ethnic minority in this country but and by the way that we know is a flawed term because people of color are the ethnic majority globally so right, even probably, that yeah, term yeah. of ethnic minority I don't like using it very much without an asterisk and a disclaimer but <laughs> even though I was one of maybe two or three dotted people in my whole class I told him I said I'm feeling very empowered even by seeing Muslim women wearing hijab in professional settings. I said, dad, he worked in a very public service job, my dad. And I said, when is the last time you saw a woman in Baltimore wearing a hijab? He said, I can't tell you the last time. I said, when is the last time you saw a mosque in Baltimore? He said, I don't remember the last time. I said, this is what I mean. I said, here, women have hijab at the bank, at the hospital. They are your doctor. They are treating you with a hijab. And they are not being shamed or demeaned or discriminated. I'm sure they 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 do use. Suffer some discrimination, but the fact that they can wear their religious garb to professional settings and command the same respect was empowering to me. And right. so it was during that time in England that I realized, you know what, I'm here for five years. Mm-hmm. I might as well live in my most authentic identity that I, I don't have to do so much code switching, right? Right, right, right? And um I started realizing my power is in my difference, my power is in my unique background. It's in my unique culture. And I gravitated very much towards the African international student community. Mm -hmm. I had so many Nigerian friends, so many friends from Ghana, from uh, Cameroon, from Sierra Leone, like you name it. And I started feeling like, yes, when I open my mouth, there's this little American twang or accent that comes out. Yes, my passport is blue. Yes, I can trace some roots back to Baltimore. But guess what? I am Kenyan. And in England, I'm identifying as Black no more. I'm Kenyan, okay? I am Kenyan. And so I even grew dreadlocks because I was like, hey, if somebody here is wearing hijab, I don't need to be worrying so much about my hair and I'm here to study. And Mm. so I was like, I'm going to lock my hair. So for five years, I grew locks. And by the time I left England, although I suffered a lot of anxiety in the last year, even contemplating what my transition would be back to America Mm -hmm. and living in that system of racism all over again, I had found myself. I was like, man, and I'm not saying that while I was identifying as a black woman in America, I was not myself, but I was surviving. Mm. I had to survive. I was operating in in an identity that requested great survival skills. It Mm -hmm. took a lot of energy from me. And that is why I say I experienced some spiritual rest in England. And Mm -hmm. by the time I came back, you couldn't tell me nothing. I was like, I am reformed. <laughs> like, I, I am, I am strengthened. And and I wondered why couldn't I even experience that spiritual rest in my household? Because my parents were very Kenyan. <laughs> you know, right, they, right, right, right. They never dropped our Kenyan identity for anything. But it shows the power of environments. You can do as much work as an individual, but if you're constantly in the environment that traumatizes you, it's hard to heal. Mm-hmm. And so I think. That's the issue with racism and and the divisiveness we find in the Black community. While we've tried to find healing, it's like hard to find healing while you're still in battle. Imagine if you were a veteran with as much PTSD and research that has gone to show the aftermath of, Mm. of the psychological deterioration of veterans. Imagine if they were asked to pursue healing while still at the battleground. That's what Black people are doing on a daily basis.
1: Man, that is so powerful that you say that. And it brings me to, wow, it brings me to a very important point, right? Which is, the, the I don't know if you've come across the term uh, Afropolitanism. Have you come across Afropolitanism?
0: No, Shingy, what is that?
1: So, Afropolitanism is this idea of of young African people, our generation, mainly like millennials, right? Mm. And they are, that the term comes about, and people like Achille Mbembe have written about this, and people like Chimamanda Adichie are on the forefront of being the Afropolitan. So, it's these... Mm. African which I, I feel like you fit that profile when you explain when you describe your experiences it is people who are who are African or either African um, immigrants or, or or even in Africa or maybe second generation but mm-hmm. who are very much a part of the world, maybe sharing in three or four different identities. And and you see that a lot with the art that is being produced where mm-hmm. a book like Americana by by Chimamanda, right, is, is very different from what Chinua Achebe Ongugi would have written. It is yes. for this Afropolitan tradition. When you listen to a Burner Boy album, and that is an African album, but it is, it is also uh, executive produced by P. Diddy, and it's, and it's featuring Tom Z out of the UK and south is so out of kenya and it's just this very it's it's almost pan africanism but it's uh it's it's a more globalized sort of something for our generation right mm. but but, but mm. and, and and i'm a proponent of it i feel like even the art that i create fits into that i it fit into that even before i knew what that term was but well, here's wow. the pre- criticism that it's gotten and you touched on it a little bit that it it privileges People with certain means, right? Mm. So, for example, when you talk about rest and spiritual rest, and it depends on you spending five years in the UK. Yes. Right, and most people I'll just say most people all over the world but the average person who's dealing with that battle here the average african-american person that you say would need that rest mm. cannot afford to take five years off in the off chance that they go to find their healing or their rest mm. okay yes so, so so the criticism of afropolitanism has been this idea of like okay it sounds good but who gets to be chimamanda who gets to be mm. very who gets to be Christine, Who gets to be? So the question then that I ask you is this: Is it where does the rest come? Even to your metaphor about the battle, how do we get you know to to your to your to your to your to your black audience here in the mm-hmm. U.S.? What does that look like for them?
0: And I what? wonder that is an excellent question because I've always wondered what role do black diasporans have in bringing rest to the blacks of America? Ooh what what role do we play do we invite them in our homes where our artwork comes from a sacred native land do we introduce them to foods and spices that help them travel to a place they've never been do we introduce them to music and literature are we intentional because we know the power of information right when you read a book it helps you travel outside of your present reality to another place and mm-hmm. how can we be time machines in a place where people need to escape to find spiritual rest how Mm -hmm. can we leverage our culture how can we leverage our languages how can we leverage our food how can we leverage our dance our clothing i can't tell you the amount of times i've heard african people complain because somebody african-american wore an african print for juneteenth do you own the patent on dashiki kitenge whatever you want to call it or uh, you know do, do, do what, what, what are we getting at here, yeah. right? And it's like, I want to be a bridge. I want to be that cocoon building person that invites somebody who needs that rest, who may not, like you rightfully said, take a flight out of here one way to another country, live there, sustain life for five years, however long it takes. How can I produce or reproduce or recreate or introduce that kind of... Um, space here Mm -hmm. and i think there are things we can do there are certainly things that we can do and i have seen that in action in my own relationships with my friends by being open about my culture to them but then it saddens me that i may be the only one in their life who does that they'll say you know i've tried to go to african parties but nobody speaks to me in english Mm. i've tried to go to african parties and nobody explained to me the ingredients in the food and, and they can clearly know who's a visitor. I mean, we feel the same isolation among different African communities, yeah. right? As a Kenyan come to your party, your family's party, if you, I am your guest, if you don't take good care of me, I may leave there feeling very isolated right. and unwanted and unwelcome. And that mm-hmm. feeling is intensified exponentially for somebody who is African-American. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I think we have a responsibility of care and connection that we need to exercise um, to help build bridges among Black people and so and and that of course applies to our caribbean brothers and sisters Uh, they are very very proud of their nations they are very proud of their cultures i will tell you (laughs) this is interesting i have been to carnival um, Mm -hmm. in different cities where Mm -hmm. you march the streets listening to caribbean music and and enjoying the food and and the drinks and the costumes and i'm telling you that is the closest i have come to seeing what i envision come to life because let me tell you when Caribbean people have a party they don't even care what nationality color you will make sure you leave there happy like you will leave there feeling like sometimes I don't even care if they're speaking patois the whole time I don't even care because I the spirit right the energy that flows through them is that of This is our culture for you to partake in. In this moment, it is freely given to you. In this moment, it is freely extended to you. Consume as much of it as you can. I go to Jamaican independence parties and I'm telling you, I will be Jamaican for three good hours. (laughs) For three good hours. I will be Jamaican because they they, they, they don't have that thing of, oh, why are you here? Oh, right, right. what, what right, do you want right. oh you mean i have to translate every second word i say i don't even care like the, the it's a good time right indeed,
1: indeed yeah indeed. and it, and it's interesting that you say that i'm gonna I'm, you know I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm gonna nerd off a little bit here because what you were describing earlier with uh, with africans and why that experience is different uh for folks here is because we have this thing we call majority consciousness which is to say mm. We you know what it is to be. But the, but the Caribbean uh, brothers and sisters also have the same thing. But how that's been utilized in the U.S. for... Maybe it's also because they've been here for, for a little bit longer, as well as uh, having some variations of independence earlier than African countries did and so forth. So the politics may be a little bit different. But their, the way they utilize their majority consciousness is very different from how we stereotypically use it Mm. because Africans come and they are over here right right this majority consciousness when 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 the Caribbean folks came uh, to the U.S. It was very much to say, "Wait a minute, you all treat black people like what?" No, right. that's not happening. So for right. them, they got right into the fight. So that's why you see when you look at people like uh, Marcus Garvey uh, in the U.S. When you look at uh, Stokely Carmichael, whose parents were, who's, uh, was it Trinidadian? I'm, I know Trinidad is in his in his immediate bloodline. When you look at even Malcolm X, I think his, uh, uh one of his his mom may have been Guyanese or or, or these mm-hmm. things, right? And you see people like Cyril Briggs and and, and so forth, so many names who are influential to, to the black freedom movement who were Immigrants or second-generation Caribbean people, right? and So, 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 so so that is very important, and I think a lot of it is exactly as you as you describe it—that to be to be very, very open and and to to build these bridges. And let me let me put this idea, Mm of course, before I give it back to you: that it is not only something that we have to do to build bridges, because it's a it's a good thing for for the global black community, but I think especially in a space like the U.S. as we are, we owe oh, a lot to the struggle of the descendants of of the Africa the American descendants of slaves of slaves right we yes. all have that experience you know the fact that I'll come in and I'm I'm voting you know it's mm. nothing to me mm. the fact that you know all these things a lot of the advocates even Ooh. to benefits on, on on some affirmative action stuff and, and and this sort of to even just be able to walk in these spaces you know yes and so it's not just something that is good for us to do i think we must do it yeah <laughs> you know we don't
0: have a choice
1: we don't have a choice absolutely we don't
0: have a choice if you're going to birth black babies in this land Mm-hmm. understand there is no marker distinguishing them to be a superior black race than any other. This mm-hmm. country system boxes us literally because when you fill out forms, you check a box. Mm-hmm. We've been boxed in one space by the system and the, you know, the policies and, and everything, even the way healthcare is done, the way policing is done. I mean, We can name any system and just trace the roots back to a place where the Black race was never to thrive. We Mm. were never to even live, you Mm. know. And so I think I've come to a place where I'm like, you know what? this is my fight, too. This is my struggle, too. And um, it became very apparent when my family, well, not family, my parents moved back to Kenya for retirement in 2016. Mm -hmm. I remember some grief overwhelming me because I thought to myself, wait a minute. Uh, I called my dad again. I said, wait a minute. Uh, What is the plan for me and Hilda? Because... You guys just went back. Was it, What day do we come back? Are we coming back? Like, are we here? Wait, wait what just happened? And my dad said, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't care what you're going to do. This my my wife...
1: Problem. What are you talking about? And He
0: <laughs> said, my wife and I... <laughs> We have finished our contract with America. Do you remember why we went to America? So what? You and your sister can have a good life. Do you have a good life? I said, yes. He said, well, then that answers your question. And I said, oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. And I remember telling him, you know, when you go to traditional independently owned Italian restaurants or any kind of mom and pop restaurant, you see a picture on the wall of the grandma, the grandpa, the great grandma who started the restaurant, who owns the recipes they use. I said to my dad, me and Hilda are going to be that grandma for some generation of people to come. They'll say those two grandmas are the grandma Christine and her sister Hilda. They Mm -hmm. were the first of our lineage to stay in America, but they were from Kenya.
1: Mm-hmm. and
0: i want them to look at that photo and be proud. be proud that's when i said what is my legacy will i will they even be proud to put my picture or they'll just say we used to have a grandma and you know Man. Lived in Michigan oh. somewhere. I want them to be proud. I want them to put my wrinkly face on that wall yeah. and have it be a con- conversation starter for people that come because they're proud of the legacy that I have made for them. And right. understanding that while I'm a child of the world, literally having lived in so many places and my roots are in Kenya, this yeah. is where I'm choosing to make a life and I have a responsibility. Like you just mentioned, voting, and we're in a very important season where voting means life or death for the people of the Black race. We Mm -hmm. have a responsibility to to have an active role. We have a civic duty to want to see a more equitable system in, Mm -hmm. in the world and the communities that we live in. And it's about time. It's long overdue. Absolutely. that we as black immigrants have this conversation and own our staff, mm-hmm. own where we have been historically in the passive nature of which we approach American politics mm-hmm. because we live mentally in our countries. We we participate more in the politics of countries we no longer even vote in. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of us I know have not, don't even vote in the U.S. because right. they don't consider the political matters of this country to have anything to do with them. We are still right. of that mindset how can we move forward
1: right absolutely wow and that is uh that is incredible and I want to just talk about one thing before before maybe we close out with uh with where all this is going in that you're because you're you know when you were talking about about babies birthed into uh into here and there's no there's no differentiation and you are by profession trained in 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 pharmacy, pharmacy, <laughs> right? Okay. Yes. <laughs> so I I don't know if if you would be I, I'm sure you'd be you'd be aware of this. I was reading something or listening to something on NPR and they were talking about how mortality rates at birth. You know about this? Yes. And uh, if I remember the statistic, and you can correct me if I if I'm wrong, but it just stuck out to me so much because they were talking about how that of uh, of, of uh, African American women is twice that of of, of white women yes. but that of African immigrant women right is much closer to that of white women than it is yes. to that of black women yes. but that of their children one generation yes. removed
0: one one generation removed mm-hmm. flips the script back exactly. to the African American experience
1: so which means that there's something about that's not it's clearly not biological otherwise it wouldn't change by one generation, generation. So it is something about the lived experience of being Black in the US that is, that is literally killing people, if we are looking it's at, at this. It's killing us. Right. It so, is killing
0: us. Mm. It is <laughs> killing us. I remember telling my mom, mom, if I ever am blessed to have a child. And during my pregnancy, can I just come home to Kenya during my pregnancy? Can I just be home? Because I know that exposure to racial stress Mm -hmm. and tension can kill my baby, can kill my baby. On top of going and let's say I have a, God forbid, complicated childbirth and having a healthcare professional who is culturally not, you know, considerate of my needs. I've heard so many instances of Black mothers, Black people, Black children, even being under-medicated with pain medication when they present the same ailment as somebody who is white of the same age Mm -hmm. emergency room studies have shown that emergency room doctors prescribe painkillers at lower doses or not at all to black patients than white patients presenting with the same ailments are you kidding Mm -hmm. me i'm here giving life giving birth Mm -hmm. producing life and i could be mistreated at childbirth i've even survived the pregnancy my baby and i have survived the pregnancy and we could still die Mm. one or both of us could die If we don't have agency, we don't have a voice. That's why you find a lot of black women now are choosing to give birth at home. They're choosing to take that chance and have a home birth where they have a black midwife, a black doula, their black husband, a black house. Like they're just (laughs) isolating themselves spiritually. It is a spiritual thing.
1: Wow.
0: You know, taking the chance to have a child in your house, in your living room, in a little tub of water, Mm. you know, in 2020. Can you imagine? Wow. So this is deep. It runs deep, but I feel this is the best time. It's better than it's the best timing. A lot of us now are fully aware, Mm -hmm. not that we weren't, but we are now aware of our voice and what we can do with our voice and how we can advocate for ourselves and those that look like us.
1: Indeed. So in closing, Christine, and I think I like that, what what you just said about uh, this is the time and how... Uh, you know, we're we are in a position to advocate with our voice. I like to, to throw the sort of curveball questions. Sure. That it is 2025 and pulsing blackness has gone as well as you hope it does. What has it done by 2025?
0: Man, I'm hoping by 2025, I can look back at the roster of guests that have been on the show I can look at their networks and see an integration of Black experiences and not a homogenized, you know, separation that we now see. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping I can see events, activities, initiatives that have a cross-cultural participation of people who hold different Black identities. I don't want to have to go to three parties to experience three types of black music anymore. Mm-hmm. I want to see parties where the DJ has music from all different black cultures. I don't gotta go to a hip hop club, then go to a reggae club, then go to an Afrobeat club like this is nonsense. Mm-hmm. And so I want to see us integrated in all facets. I want to see caterers who who cook different types of black foods. Why are there executive chefs that 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 specialize in soul food and then there are some that specialize in African food? Hello, what if mm-hmm. I wanna? I eat both? What if I want <laughs> some yams and some plantains side by side? What are we going to do, people? So enough is enough. And the more together we are, by 2025, the more we will be a force to be reckoned with when it comes to Mm -hmm. activism, because Mm -hmm. we won't have these cracks in our house. They Mm -hmm. say you need to start from within your house. And as far as I'm concerned, within our Black house, we got cracks in the wall, foundational issues. We we don't get along. We don't do that. I don't want to say that. Mm -hmm. There's so much work to be done and we cannot do it separately.
1: Right. Man. Wow. Yeah. So, woo, having put that on the table, we have work to do, Christine. Yes. You have work to do. I'm, I'm, I'm coming with you, but I know this is, this is, this is, uh, this is the house that you're building. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, for sure, that's all the questions I had for you today. Take us out with a, with a, with a sentiment, and tell us what's about to happen with Positive Blackness.
0: So, Pulsing Black, um, like I mentioned, I, yeah, I mean, you are already remixing my title, brother. But um, it'll be a space of connection. It'll be a space of healing. It'll be a space of inquisition. We want people to ask questions. We want people to bring their curiosity onto this show and ask the questions they've always wondered about a different type of Black people. Like, Mm. you know, why y'all do this like this? Where do we, where where can I fit in in this? I really like how y'all do this. So how can we come together and give each other the space, make space for one another? And while it. be uncomfortable because you might have to be bunched up in a corner so your fellow brother and sister can fit in where you fit in, I know it'll take us far. And it will also allow those who are not Black to understand that we are not one thing. Blackness is not a monolith. First of all, Blackness was invented to oppress some of the most great people on earth. Do you know how amazing we are? You know, how alive we can be? We are only asking to not be shot down every time we try to move one step forward. And so I want us to be together in the fight, be together in celebration, be together in Jubilee, be together Ubuntu, right? I am because you are. How can I be anything when you're suffering, when you're dead? You know, how am I better or okay without George Floyd? without Breonna Taylor, without all these people that whose lives were robbed, how can I claim to be okay, you know? So I want people to know we are together and this is not one black person's fight greater than another because this country sure, sure, for sure does not see it that way. You're black or you're black. That box, when you check that box next time, it'll mean something different. So I want people to know that this is, and our listeners to know, this is a place where we welcome your story. We welcome your journey. We don't want you to feel like your journey doesn't matter. It matters and we want to hear about it. We want to hear your story. And so we welcome people who want to share their story, their black stories on this show and know that they will be received with grace, with dignity and
1: with love. Wow. Thank you so much Christine. I'm so excited to see where Paulson Black goes and I look forward to being a guest as well in the very near future.
0: <laughs> Thank you brother. Thank you for this time. God bless you.
1: Indeed indeed